You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Word of Life, it's great to see you. Great to be able to come be here with you on this full fast Sunday. Um, so what Megan and I have seen happen um, typically, certainly often in churches, is that at the beginning of the year, so January, possibly even February time, there'll be some kind of uh, vision weekend. And at that vision weekend, the church will kind of be presented with, hey, this is what we believe the Lord is doing um, in and through our church. This is what we believe the next year is going to be like. Megan and I have often thought to ourselves that... Um, no matter what the calendar says, life really begins, like the year really kind of kicks off in September. Um, summer is, of course, filled with vacations and weekends away and times at camp and boating on the lake and, um, you know, weekends away and all this kind of stuff. And so there's really kind of this, this choppy kind of time in the summer. Things are a little more unpredictable. And then September, everyone's back to school. There's a little more predictability to things. Um, and so we have th- always thought that, you know, bringing this vision to the church in September makes a lot of sense because this really is like a natural reset. And so to kind of bring vision at this time of the year uh, makes a lot of sense to us. And so we're going to be spreading this out over the next few weeks. And if you've been around for the last 12 months, you will have heard us talk a lot about um, the theme that we've uh, sort of had for the past 12 months. We still believe and still adhere to. It's no less relevant than it has been. But the theme has been beyond Sunday, that our faith, the life of a believer, it, it can't, sure, surely it cannot be squashed into an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. That can't be the beginning and the end of our faith. It's just that 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Is that There's got to be more to a life of faith than that. And so we've been talking about that a lot over the last year as we've talked about this whole idea of beyond Sunday. And as I mentioned, we're still completely committed to that idea, and it's no less relevant today than it has been over the last 12 months. But as Megan and I have got together and we've talked a lot and we've been praying and we've got advice from the elders and we've presented things to the staff, um, we've got something that we want to bring to you today. And we're going to be unpacking this over the next few weeks. But what we want to bring to you and what we believe is the theme for our church for the next 12 months, certainly, what I hope is something that's defining, something that's, uh, you know, hopefully will give us some clarity and will really sort of even invigorate some passion within us about what God is doing. And what we want to bring to you is simply this. As a church, we are continuing what Jesus started. We are continuing what Jesus started. That's our theme for the next year continuing what Jesus started. We're not inventing something new. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're not crafting something new and trendy. We are looking at what Jesus started, and that is what we are going to continue doing as his church. A verse that if one person claps, we all have to. A verse that leapt out at me this week as I was getting ready to come and share this with you is from the book of Colossians. It's part of the introduction in verse 6. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. From here, this verse from Colossians, we see that the message of Jesus has spread all over the known world at this time. Not only that, but as the message has spread, it's changed lives. The truth about God's wonderful grace changes lives. And this whole theme and this whole idea of continuing what Jesus started, the best way I could think about bringing this to the church and presenting it to you is really to answer three questions. This statement, continuing what Jesus started, I believe it prompts three questions. The first is, who is Jesus? 
Now, as believers, as people that put our faith and trust in Jesus, as people who are committed to following him, that might seem like a simple answer, but it is a question that prompts out of this. What, you know, continue what Jesus started. Well, who is Jesus? Secondly, what did he start? And then thirdly, how do we continue what he started? So who is Jesus? What did he start? And how do we continue what he started? So that first question, who is Jesus? I've got some fun facts and trivia for you. The first is that Jesus is a first century Jewish teacher. He was a leader who gathered a large following. Jesus was arrested on salacious charges and was the victim of a ridiculous show trial before being sentenced to death by the Romans. Jesus was born in confusing and possibly scandalous circumstances. His small hometown of Nazareth was forgettable and unnoteworthy. Jesus had a close group of friends. Some of them would later write down different versions of his biography. And Jesus had a reputation for being kind and a good person. Now, all of this is true, but it doesn't explain why Paul would write these words to Colossians. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Those historical facts that Jesus was a first century Jewish teacher, that Jesus gathered a large following, that doesn't explain why Paul would say this message of this man has spread all over the world and has changed lives everywhere it has been taught. These facts that I sort of rattled off that his hometown of Nazareth, that doesn't explain why people all over the world have put their faith and their trust in Jesus and that for 2,000 years the message of Jesus has been proclaimed. It doesn't explain how today there are hundreds of millions of people on the planet who have had their lives transformed because they have believed that Jesus is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus being a, a good man and even a good teacher, it's historically accurate, and I believe it's undisputed by historians, but it doesn't explain why his followers have historically been tortured and murdered for their allegiance to Jesus. Why has human history been shifted because of a carpenter from some small town in an undesirable Roman province in the Middle East who died 2,000 years ago? Now, there may be accurate ways to describe Jesus. You may ask people, who is Jesus? And you may get the answer of Jesus as a teacher, a leader, prophet, preacher, revolutionary, humanitarian, a role model. And all these are true, but to get a glimpse of the rich understanding of who Jesus is, I want to consider the fish. The fish. I have a picture for you. You may have seen an image similar to this. Today you'll see these fish stickers on people's cars and you'll assume that the car is being driven by a believer. There's a lady that comes to our church that's told me that she's never ever getting a fish sticker for her car because she gets too many speeding tickets. When I worked in a bank, I used to wear a little fish pin and sure enough, it would open up conversations and other Christians would ask me about which church I go to and it would start conversations and so on. But the significance of the fish, it isn't haphazard or without thought. The story goes that in the first century when the first believers, those early Christians, were being persecuted and just meeting in the name of Jesus meant that there was the threat of being your door crashed down and there being you know, people coming in and willing to do you harm. In the middle of that threat, the believers would um, use the fish as a symbol to communicate, I'm a believer, and if you're a believer, you would respond likewise. The um, story that I heard, and I have no way of knowing whether this is completely accurate, but it kind of makes sense, is that if you're talking to someone and you have a feeling that they're another believer, but you don't want to just say, I'm a believer because it could get you in danger, you would kind of get your foot and then just kind of draw an arc with your foot. Now, if you don't know what's going on, it's, you know, it's ominous. It doesn't, you know, it's not really something you'd think too much about. But if the other person is a believer, they would likewise draw the arc the other way 
and complete that picture of the fish. The story goes that they would sort of draw these images of fishes on the doorposts of places where churches were gathering so that the believers knew, I'm going to go and to the place and, you know, I'm going to gather with other believers and the fish lets me know where it's going to be. But why is it a fish? I don't know if you've ever understood why the fish, of all the different symbols that could be used, why is it a fish? Well, here's an answer I got from a website this week. The Christian fish symbol is based on a Greek acronym for the phrase, Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. In Greek, the phrase, I'm going to try my best to pronounce the Greek correctly, Jesus Christos Theo Euos Sota. When we take the first letter from each word in that phrase, we have ichthus, which happens to be the Greek word for fish. So in the first century Greek, fish is an acronym for Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. Christ is another term for Messiah, and Messiah was the one that was promised in the Old Testament that would come and fulfill God's promises. The Jewish people have been waiting for centuries for the Christ, for the Messiah to come, and now he's here. Within that phrase is also that Jesus is the Son of God. It was God's own Son that came as the Messiah, not a good man or some hero, but God became humanity. Jesus is unique as the Son of God. He's divine and perfect, and yet he came as a man and lived among us. God's love for humanity is proven by God becoming humanity so he could pay the price that humanity could never pay. And also says that he is our savior. On the cross, he became the savior of the world. He defeated our biggest problem. He defeated sin and healed our separation from the Father. So this question, who is Jesus? Jesus Christ, the son of God, our savior. And the fish is a great reminder of that. But our second question is, what did he start? What did the Son of God, our Savior, begin? It appears that for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he was quiet and essentially waiting for the right time to begin the ministry that he came to earth to fulfill. After Jesus' baptism, he went into the wilderness and resisted different temptations from the devil. And then when he returned, it was time for him to get started. And we're going to pick this up in Luke 4, 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, He went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus began his teaching ministry by telling people that the good news has come to the poor, good news to people who don't feel good about life. The captives are being released. The people that are lost and struggling and possibly trapped in addictions are finding freedom. Those that are blind and oppressed are being set free. This is how Jesus started his ministry. He spent 30 years in quiet obscurity, and then at the right time, he launched into his public life. And he started by teaching people that they don't have to stay where they are. They don't have to stay downtrodden and overlooked and struggling just to survive, but they can repent and leave sin and destruction behind and find true, honest-to-goodness freedom. Soon after this, in the life of Jesus, we see him recruiting people not only to follow him, but to learn about the kingdom that he is establishing and how they can join him in furthering and spreading of the message. You start to see Jesus leading with a unique spiritual authority. He begins healing people physically and performing other miracles. Jesus begins teaching revolutionary things that upset the religious and political leaders. What he said was different from what they'd heard before. The miracles and his spiritual authority was different from what they'd seen before. 
how he reflected God the Father was different than what the religious leaders were saying. What Jesus said and did mattered to people, and consequently, he gathered a following. In short, Jesus started a movement. He started a movement. And what was different about the movement that Jesus started? I have a few suggestions for you. The first thing is that Jesus started a movement with a message. Jesus started a movement with a message. The message of Jesus, it addresses the deepest hurts and concerns of humanity. Something that I've said for a long time now, especially I used to say a lot to teenagers, but I would say, everybody wants Jesus even if they don't know it. And I would oftentimes get pushed back to that statement, is that how can you make that sweeping universal generalization that everybody wants Jesus even if they don't know it? My simple answer to that question is that the reason I know that everybody wants Jesus is because everybody wants peace. Everybody wants hope. Everybody wants to live with a sense of purpose. Everyone wants to live with an eternal certainty. Everyone wants to know that they have a confidence about life, that they're not just drifting through existence, but there is a meaning and there is a purpose and there is a reason behind it all. People don't just want to exist. People are looking for something bigger than themselves. And all of that is only found in Jesus. The apostles would go on to describe that the ministry that they're continuing in Jesus' name is a ministry of reconciliation. The message of Jesus is that there can be a restoration between God the Father and humanity. Humanity has a broken, distant relationship with the Father. We've all done things. We've all made mistakes. The Bible calls it sin. We all have a list of reasons why there's a gap between us and the Father. And none of us could ever make up for the things that have been done, but Jesus paid it all on the cross. And that fixed and it healed and it restored that broken relationship with God. It was a ministry of reconciliation. Another thing in the message of Jesus is that Jesus is really the one that taught people to approach God as Father. You can look through the Old Testament and there's some slight allusions to that feeling, but it's really not present. It was Jesus that came and it's like, now is the time to approach God as Father. And those of you who have children, you know how much you love your children. It changes how you think about your Creator. It changes how you think about the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. When Jesus comes and says, now you can approach because of this newly restored and reconciled relationship, you can come to God as Father. Jesus' message was and is a message of grace. So Jesus started a movement with a message, but Jesus started a movement with different values. Jesus started a movement with different values. The Sermon on the Mount is possibly Jesus' most well-known passage of teaching. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7. I would say it's impossible to read through that passage and not feel a deep awareness of how you and I don't live up to the standard that Jesus is laying out. Some of the most challenging highlights you can find in that lengthy passage of Scripture is that if you have lust or anger in your heart, you're guilty of adultery or murder. The challenge from Jesus that if you're slapped in the face, turn the other cheek. If someone steals your shirt, give them your coat also. The challenge from Jesus to love our enemies, to give to those in need without any expectation of praise or applause. If we refuse to, give, uh, to forgive others, then God won't forgive us. The challenge that no one can serve two masters, no one can serve both God and money. The need to remove the log from our own eye before removing the speck in someone else's. And the ultimate challenge, to do unto others as you would have them do to you. And there are many, many other challenging teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. And this is not the only place where Jesus teaches about morality or conduct or ethics. Indeed, the New Testament writers would continue to instruct the earliest believers and disciples of how to conduct themselves. 
But the movement Jesus has started set, uh, had a different set of priorities and values. And it was a different set of priorities and values to the world around us. While the world has always drifted towards hedonism and indulgence and self-centeredness, Jesus' teaching has stood in stark contrast. And decisively, he pointed out that the way of the world is not the path to happiness and fulfillment in spite of what's been promised. You and I, we see this around us each and every day. People are doing all the things that social media and culture and Hollywood are telling them to do, and it's not leading to joy and flourishing, but the exact opposite. Our generation is more depressed, lonely, disillusioned, and divided and confused and uninspired than any generation that has ever gone before us. And thank God, Jesus brings us something different. Jesus started a movement with compassion. Jesus started a movement with compassion. The movement that Jesus started has always sought to make a difference. Churches all over the world have lifted people out of poverty and helped people find stability and offer to help those who are sick. One of the stumbling blocks for atheists is to understand and explain the generosity and kindness and benevolence of people whose only motive is to follow Jesus' example. The church that bears Jesus' name and continues making the positive difference that he made cannot be ignored. One of the hopes I've long had for our church, and I believe we're starting to see come to pass, is that if ever there's political oppression against the church, if ever there's the threat of needing to close down a church's doors and the conspiracy theorists keep saying such things, and the conspiracy theorists sometimes keep getting proven true. But if ever that day comes, my hope is that it's the community that steps up and says, leave that church alone. My life is enriched because of that church. I hope it's the people within our community that may not even share our faith in who Jesus is, but they know that our church has made a positive difference in their lives. And so if ever there should be a threat come upon the church, that it is the community at large that is stepping up and saying, no, that church has made a difference in my life. It's made a difference in my friend's life and the people around me. The church makes a positive difference. Leave the church alone. I hope people feel the positive impact of our church long before they ever set foot inside the doors of our building. Fourthly, Jesus started a movement with eternal hope. Jesus started a movement with eternal hope. John 3.16, likely the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but so that the world might be saved through him. Eternity is a question that each of us have. Anthropologists, the scientists, not the fashion designers, but anthropologists, I thought that was way funnier when I wrote that down. Anyway, <laughs> anthropologists tell us that every people group throughout history all over the world have pondered the question of eternity. Hell is a dreadful thought that the fear of hell grips many people, but because of Jesus, it doesn't have to. We can live with a confidence about eternity. That is a part of the movement that Jesus started. Jesus started a movement with a message, with different values, with compassion, and with eternal hope. And this movement continued after Jesus' resurrection. After Jesus rose again on that first Easter morning, he appeared and reassured the 11 remaining disciples. After his return to heaven, that number grew to 120. During the coming of the Holy Spirit, 50 days later on Pentecost, we see the number of believers grow by 3,000. During the book of Acts, we see that number grow and increase by an unknown number, but I believe it's fair to say it's tens of thousands at least. 
And then we come to Colossians 1.6 again. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Today, there are respectable researchers who will say that billions of people in the last 2,000 years have put their faith and trust and loyalty in Jesus Christ. Jesus started a movement. The question three, how do we, how do you and I continue what he started? What does it mean to continue? This is not about inventing something new, but rather we keep persisting in what he has already started. How do you and I continue in our day-to-day -day lives? Well, there's so much that could be said, but I've got five things to think about today. How do we continue what Jesus started? Number one, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, the obvious question from here is, what is all these things that's being talked about? Well, the preceding verses talk about food, clothing, basic needs. And this teaching from Jesus is straightening out our priorities. Seek first above everything else. The highest priority is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the promise is that if God is first and foremost, everything else falls into place. It's amazing how easy this sounds and yet how difficult it is to live. There are so many things fighting for first place in our lives. Approval, acceptance, money, status, pleasure. It's incredibly easy to be distracted and even consumed with these things. But for followers of Jesus... First, central, highest priority is the kingdom of God. And if you believe the message of Jesus, this makes total sense. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. If you believe the message of Jesus, putting God first makes total sense. Building your life grounded on your faith makes sense. Following him with everything is completely logical. What doesn't make sense is believing the message of Jesus, believing that he is who he says he is, but being casual and kind of sorta about your faith. What doesn't make sense and what is illogical is agreeing that Jesus is the savior of the world, but that belief doesn't make any significant difference in your life. Now, I'm a pastor at a church. I've been a pastor for a long time now. I've been following Jesus for over 20 years. I don't have all this figured out. I have bad moments. I have bad days. I even have bad weeks or months but I wouldn't swap this adventure of following Jesus for anything. I'm not perfect, I'm very far from it, and I hope I never present myself as an ultra holy man to the church, but I wanna put God first. I sincerely believe it's the best way I can spend this one life that I have. I believe it's true for me, and I believe it's true for you. And I'm ready for us to figure this out together and seek first and foremost the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Second thing, if one person claps, we all have to. How do we continue what Jesus started? Second thing, do unto others. Do unto others. Luke 6, 31, do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now, parents, imagine if your kids lived this verse every day. We just got back from summer break. Imagine if all summer long your kids took this teaching to heart. My kids are in kids' ministry right now. I can say whatever I want about them. <laughs> how do we do this? How do we treat others how we want to be treated? There's simple things, like we forgive. We show kindness. We use our words to build up, not tear down. 
We tell the truth to each other. We're slow to anger and quick to show grace. We're generous and helpful. This is our standard, do unto others. And this is exactly how we see Jesus conduct himself. Third thing, how do we continue what Jesus started? Number three, we live being led by the Holy Spirit. We're told that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. There's an example from Luke 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the river, uh, Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then this verse from Isaiah shows exactly how you and I are to be led by the Spirit. It's a great verse. Isaiah 30, 21. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. When we're faced with a choice, be led by the Holy Spirit. Take a moment and pray and wait. When you're about to do something that makes total sense and seems to be right and appropriate and even the wise thing to do, but you just can't shake this uncomfortable feeling, pay attention and consider whether the Holy Spirit is trying to steer you away from coming problems. I hope that every follower of Jesus is praying and listening whenever they're making the decision, big or small, that the leading of the Holy Spirit, just as it was for Jesus, is a foundational part of how we live our lives. We just finished a nine-week series over the summer looking at what the Holy Spirit produces when He's active in our lives. And the whole point is that this fruit of the Holy Spirit will show itself in every area of life, into every room we walk into. The way we make decisions, the way we prioritize, the way we talk to people, it's noticeable and it's different when the Holy Spirit is active. Fourth thing, how do we continue what Jesus started? Number four, we make disciples. We make disciples. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he started inviting people to come and be his disciple. It's worth considering that the typical disciple-teacher relationship began by a young person asking if they could be someone's disciple. Someone, a young person would go to a noteworthy teacher or a prestigious leader and they would say, can I please be your disciple? There was like an application process is typically how this thing was done. But Jesus broke from tradition and instead of waiting for people to come to him, he went to people. Jesus went to people typically that everyone else would overlook, and he invited people to come and be his disciple. You would expect to see young people approaching Jesus and essentially applying for the honor of being a disciple of a great teacher. But Jesus doesn't wait for people to come to him. He goes to people. Unfortunately, the modern church has broken from Jesus' model and resumed what was typical in his day. We patiently wait for people to come and ask us to help them become disciples of Jesus instead of us going and extending his invitation to people. Deserving or not, we need to go and invite people to be his disciple. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, get up, get busy as you're going through life. Be active and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This call to make disciples, it can be daunting and even fill people with dread. Making disciples, it looks different for each believer because each of us is built and wired differently and we're each bestowed with different gifts and abilities. But God uses all of it to impact the lives of people. Does that mean that making disciples is always easy and comfortable? No, but it does mean that when we flow in our God-given calling, there's a sense of ease and joy to it. Operating in the gifts that God has given you is fulfilling and rewarding. Helping people in the way he designed you to help people is a rich experience. 
Making disciples sounds like a high-pressure, highly uncomfortable, socially awkward way to go through life. And consequently, churches are ready and waiting for people to come and be discipled instead of going and making disciples. Jesus went and found disciples. The earliest disciples would go and find other disciples. The last command from Jesus is go and make disciples, not stay and wait for disciples. What does going look like for you and for me? It varies for each of us. But I believe that as we're going about our day-to-day lives with work, family, college, a simple prayer of God, help me find a chance to help make a disciple today. God, show me a way. Open a door. Open an opportunity for me to make a positive difference in the life of someone today. I believe if we prayed prayers like that, we would see opportunities. We would see people who need help. We would see and we would understand ways that we can encourage people and help people and bless people. And you'll have the right thing to say at the right time. You'll be the kind of friend that helps. I believe that if you and I pray that prayer a few times every day, and then we actively look to see how God may be answering that prayer, I believe wholeheartedly that we'll see God move in powerful ways. And I believe this because that's what I read in the book of Acts, and it's all throughout church history. The fifth thing, how do we continue what Jesus started? Number five, we build the church. Build the church. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, you may have complaints against churches. They may be accurate. They may be fair. You can look at church history and you can see terrible things that the church has done. And you may be able to point out abuses of power. And even though all this may be true, Jesus still promised to build his church. It bothers me deeply whenever I read about churches doing harmful things, or more importantly, I believe it grieves the heart of God. But I'm so grateful that he hasn't given up on us, that he is still building his church as a community of believers, a community founded on Jesus, and who are announcing the eternal kingdom of God. The church needs to embody what Jesus started. The church should give credibility to the bold claims that Jesus made about the eternal kingdom. I hope that you find your place in the church. I hope you believe that this is a place that you and your family can grow in your faith and that you can form sincere friendships here, that the church is a place where you belong and also a place that you can build. Jesus is committed to building the church. And elsewhere in the Bible, we hear about believers being co-laborers with Christ. We are able to lock arms with Jesus as he builds the church. He will build his church. He has said it, and he means it. Our church is made up of builders. Our church is made up of people who show up and make it happen. The obvious example in this is is in volunteering. That's not all there is, but it's one of the ways we can see how people build the church. And because we do um, all of our volunteer scheduling online, it means that we're able to run reports and see that over the past 12 months, over 300 people have volunteered somewhere in the ministry of Word of Life. Whether 300 people, it's wonderful. Whether it's kids ministry or youth or cafe, greeting, musicians, production team, turning up to church cleanup days or leading a small group. There are many, many other ways, of course. But I hope if you're a part of the 300, if you're a part of building the church in one way or another, my hope and my prayer is that every time you hear a story of life change at Word of Life, Every time you hear a story about someone being deeply impacted by what God is doing, you feel a sense of joy that you were a part of that. It's right and appropriate that you feel joy and fulfillment in seeing God using your efforts and sacrifice to transform lives. It doesn't matter what specific part you play, God uses all of it to keep furthering His church and His kingdom. Continuing what Jesus started, promise three questions. Who is Jesus? What did he start? 
And how do we continue what he started? Well, who is Jesus? A lesson from the fish that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. And what did he start? Jesus started a movement with a message. He started a movement with different values and compassion. Jesus started a movement with eternal hope. And how do we, how do you and I continue what he started? We seek first the kingdom of God. We do unto others. We live being led by the Holy Spirit. We make disciples and we build the church. There are times when you'll read accounts in the Bible of thousands responding to the message of Jesus or miracles affecting thousands um, or even times where you read about whole cities being impacted or, you know, or a huge crowd. But there are other times where you read just about the one. This is consistent throughout the Bible. You can read about Jesus preaching to thousands and you can read about him delaying a journey or stopping everything for the sake of just one person. Within the Gospels, you can read about times when Jesus would heal massive groups of people at one gathering and other times when he would inconvenience himself and his followers to go and heal and rescue just one individual. When we say, when the message of Jesus is that Jesus loves you, it's true for everyone. But just because it's true for everyone doesn't make it any less true that he loves you specifically. You can find hope and a new life. You can leave all the destruction and pain of the past behind. Just because Jesus offers hope and freedom to everyone who calls on his name, it doesn't make the hope and freedom promised to you any lesser or somehow cheapened. There's a great story within our church that I was deeply moved when I heard about it, and I'm glad that we were able to get a video recording of this. But as we think about that idea that Jesus came, not just for a crowd, but for the individuals within the crowd, he came for the one. I want to go ahead and check out this video. So it all started at small group, really, when uh, Cassie and I realized that Nina had still not seen Jesus Revolution. Um, we were at Bible study, and we knew she had to see it just because it's like she popped right out of the movie. It was really good at showing like how people came from death and then they came to life, especially at the baptism part. It was like when the main character went into the water, he, was, he died, and then he came back up, and he was a whole new person. I just think that that movie really showed like how amazing the Lord can move us in those type of moments in our lives. I just felt like it totally related to the, the youth today and how they're all just searching for something, trying to fill their hearts with something because we all have that God-shaped hole in our heart and the only way we can fill it is God. But people turn to drugs and they turn to sex and all these things. But um, I just like how they found their home in Jesus, and they didn't even really know that that's what they needed, but when they found it, they realized that that was their home. There was something in the air that night that just felt like, I just felt expectant. I just, before the night even started, I just felt like there's going to be something that's going to happen tonight. And, um, and so after the movie, I was like, do you guys have to jet? Because it just feels like... God is going to do something. So we decided to all come out here, hang out by the pool, and just seek the Lord. So we started to pray. And uh, what, how, what do you recollect from that night, Cassidy? Well, I remember when I was praying, I couldn't stop thinking about the baptism I had seen. I think it was maybe the week before. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I just, I love baptism. I think there, it's absolutely amazing, just life change and watching people just from death to life, like you said, and just see their life transform like right before your eyes. 
I remember we started to pray and um, we didn't even know what God was going to do. But I remember Nina getting all excited and she was like, I just wish we were at Pirate's Cove. And I was like, well, we kind of have Pirate's Cove right here. Um, I know you talked a little bit about how we just watched a movie where people were putting Jesus first. Um, that was really like it gives me chills to still think about so why don't you tell us what that was about deep down i've always really wanted to get baptized and then like when pastor annie was like hey we have our own pirates cove like let's just do it i was like okay i don't have to like get limited by the society's standards and i felt like just the fact that i put myself and God over what the society wants of me that just kind of like formed a whole new love like I love Jesus but not because you know I'm getting restricted by people it's because I love Jesus for who he is oh sorry it's a flash did you expect it to be warm <laughs> yes all right well upon your confession and faith I baptize you in the name of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. So I know we were all like, what? It was so exciting. And then afterward, I remember after you came up, we were all celebratory and feeling like an, there was like an electricity in the air. And then I remember looking over Isaiah and just like locking eyes with him. And right at that moment, Eddie said something. Do you remember what it was? He goes, I'll do it if you do it. You did. You said, Isaiah, I'll do it if you do it. And so at that moment, they both just scooted their chairs back and came out. And Cassidy was going ballistic <laughs> over there. She was like, what? This is nuts. And, and I was like, well, you need to get in here in the water and you're going to baptize your brother. just so excited when that happened like I couldn't stop I was actually shaking and everyone was like oh the water's so cold blah blah and I was like I'm just so excited and I was shaking and it was just like it's just like an honor to be able to baptize my brother like it's so special because I've walked I've watched him like go through all of his struggles in life and his successes and stuff like that and just to be able to watch him take his next step with Jesus is everything I could ever ask for. I didn't really understand baptism until I really came out of the water and I just felt like God was with me and it, it also helped that Isaiah was doing it with me because I felt like we were both doing it with God. The Jesus Revolution movie really does an amazing job of depicting what a baptism felt to me because he was like in the movie, he was just laying in the water, you know? It was like his old self was just done in the water, you know? And then he came up afterwards, but I felt like that's exactly how it was for me. Like, I felt myself leave the water. It was so cool, guys. It was so cool. People need to hear your story and what you have to say. Like, that's part of baptism is making a declaration. Like, this is what I'm choosing. Um, it's following in Christ's footsteps, you know? And that's what you guys did that night. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm just so thankful to be a part of your journeys, and um, you all inspire me. You really do. Next movie night! <laughs> getting ready to go to sleep, and our phone stopped buzzing. It's midnight. 
It's Pastor Annie. You never guess what? I just baptized three kids in my backyard. I want to spend my life getting those text messages. Jesus spent 30 years in quiet obscurity. Then at the right time, launched into his public life, and he started by teaching people that they didn't have to stay where they are. They didn't have to stay downtrodden and overlooked and struggling just to survive. But they can repent. They can leave sin and destruction behind and find true freedom, not just in theory, but this is proven by the true life transformation of millions and millions of people, just like the video we watched. This year, we believe the big focus of our church needs to be that we're continuing what Jesus started. A couple of questions for you. I typically do this every week is try and put a few questions in front of everyone so you can have a chance this week to think through and pray through, perhaps sort of get some, uh, some deeper understanding and possibly even a challenge. The first question I put to you is, how does what Jesus started affect you personally? How does what Jesus started affect you personally? Jesus started a movement with a message, a movement with different values, a movement of compassion. Jesus started a movement with eternal hope. And how does all that affect you personally? And the second question I put to you is, how can you continue what Jesus started? How can you continue what Jesus started? There's a much longer list, but today I just sort of made note of five. To seek first the kingdom of God, to do unto others, to live being led by the Holy Spirit, to make disciples, to build the church. How can you continue what Jesus started? One thing I've seen and heard and read and studied and seen the Bible and seen my own life experience and see throughout church history is there's no one type of person who responds to Jesus. There's no one kind of person. People of different wealth, status, age, background, ethnicity, all kinds of people come to Jesus all over the world. Among the people who have responded to the message of Jesus, you'll find people who have committed all kinds of sins and regrets and mistakes, and they've all found forgiveness and freedom. They found the hope to repent and find that tomorrow can look infinitely different than yesterday. I want to invite you to stand with me. But in the video we just watched, uh, the movie Jesus Revolution was mentioned a number of times, and um, I can't endorse the movie enough. I think it's fantastic and a wonderful story. Part of the theme of the story, and this is historically accurate, is that Time Magazine, the, you know, back in 1971, was writing an article about this uprising of young people coming to faith in Jesus and these young people who are finding hope in the message of Jesus. And this is included in the movie, and I wanted to share with you today, this is a snippet from a Time Magazine article from 1971. It says, Jesus is alive and well and living in the radical spiritual fervor of a growing number of young Americans who have proclaimed an extraordinary revolution in His name. Who have proclaimed an extraordinary revolution in His name. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Lord Jesus, please, can these not just be empty words? Can this not just be um, some sermon one time upon, you know, but Lord, may your words grab a hold of us today. 
that there is a call, that there is a mandate, that there is a mission on your church to continue what you started. Lord, we want to see people saved. We want to see people rescued. We want to see people find hope. We want to see hopeless Christians find hope again. Lord, we want to see marriages restored. We want to see relationships restored. We want to see people run away from destruction and sin and devastation and run towards you with passion. Lord, we want to see you move in this generation. Lord, we want to see you move. Lord, we believe that you came for the one just as much as you came for the crowd. And Lord, I believe that you're grabbing a hold of people, that you're letting people know just how much they are dearly loved by you, the creator of the universe today. Oh, Lord, move among your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everyone, let's spend some time in worship together. Amen.